you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to 1 Timothy. However you get your Bible, whether that's electronically or through an app or in paper form. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. You can take the one in the seat back in front of you. People donate to make sure that the Bibles are continuously restocked. And you can turn to 1 Timothy. If you don't know how to get there, uh, bump the person next to you. Tell them to help you get there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Now, before we get started, before we even read, um, does anybody know who this is? Who is it? Princess Diana, right. Now, we know Princess Diana for a lot of reasons. Uh, we may not know that one of her uh, endeavors, one of her uh, things that she really pushed for was an end to the use of landmines. Um, and so what she would do is she would go to these places, I think this may be in Uganda or Rwanda, somewhere in there, and she would go through and she would walk through trying to use her publicity uh, to bring attention to the fact that when wars end, they don't often go back and dig up the landmines. And, and she made sure to spend time with kids who were just playing in a field who accidentally tripped on, on a landmine and lost a limb or, you know, maybe parents who lost a child. And so she used that uh, publicity and her status as a princess to try and bring aware. In fact, it actually led to a treaty against landmine use in some parts of the world. And, and so she did that good, uh, a great thing with her publicity. Today, I want you to know that as I read Scripture, even before I read Scripture, we're walking through a minefield. And, and in fact, if I were to entitle this message, I would probably give it the title, Good News from the Landmine Field. So, I need us to lean in, and I'm going to ask you, as we read the Scripture, to think for a moment, and trust, I hope you can trust me if you're a, a, a Guess with me. Hang with me till the end, okay? This is a passage that has been misused, abused, ripped out of context, and become quite a landmine in our day and age. So with that, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2. James, I'll let you change the slides on on, uh, the Scripture. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. How many people? All people. For kings and those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants how many people? To be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The, the human, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for how many people? Wow, this seems really important to Paul. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. That's a strange word, but it just means the outsiders. He went to the outsiders. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive cloths, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. 
A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women, she, literally, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, in love, and holiness with propriety. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come. Walk in this minefield with us. Help us to reintegrate this. Spirit, come and use my words to be good news. Because this really is good news. Walk with us. And for those who have heard these words used to demean, to demote, to belittle, and yes, to even abuse. Would you quiet those voices long enough for your voice to be heard? For your voice proclaims freedom for all people. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Whew! Minefield, huh? Did you feel some explosions? It was a real temptation, i got to admit. It was a real temptation to just skip over this part. <laughs> but I felt called to walk in this minefield. So, I think you should probably know where do we stand on this What does this look like in our church at Cross Community? We're a part of a denomination called the Church of the Nazarene. And so I thought, well, it's probably just a good thing that we just start with what do the Nazarenes believe about women in ministry. So I just want you to see it. Well, kind of see it. It's a theology of women in ministry. This is found on uh, in the Nazarene Manual, page or paragraph one hundred five hundred one. It's called entitled A Theology of Women in Ministry. The Church of the Nazarene supports the right of women to use their God-given spiritual gifts within the church. Can I get an amen? And affirms the historic, this is not just new, the historic right of women to be elected and appointed to places of leadership within the Church of the Nazarene, including the offices of both elder and deacon. That means that they can be ordained. They can do what I'm doing right now, with all authority. They can also be deacons, which is a little more behind the scenes. They can serve in those capacities too. And they can be elected to the highest office. Carla Sundberg was a missionary. She was a pastor. She was a district superintendent. And she now serves, oh, she was the president of Nazarene Theological Seminary and now serves as a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. She ordains other pastors. Okay? This is how far this goes for us. Let's keep going. Because I need you to hear the rationale. The purpose of Christ's redemptive work is to set God's creation free. It's Freedom Sunday. From the curse of the fall, those who are in Christ are new creations. Amen? 
That's found in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you need a reference. In this redemptive community, no human being is to be regarded as inferior on the basis of social status, race, or gender. If you want uh, to read the Bible where we get that, it's Galatians 3.26-28. Now, we do acknowledge, acknowledging the apparent paradox... Paradox means it seems two things that are contradictory and they're held together in the middle. Paradox. Paradox in the middle. Acknowledging the apparent paradox created by Paul's instruction to Timothy, which we've just read, and to the church in Corinth, at 1 Corinthians 4, 14.33-34, we believe interpreting these passages as limiting the role of women in ministry presents serious conflicts with specific passages of Scripture that commend female participation in spiritual leadership roles. This is all online. If you need to look this up, you go ahead. And you will see, and you can click on those scriptures, Joel 2, 28-29, Acts 2, 17-18, and, and 21-8-9, in Romans 16, 1, 3, and 7, in Philippians 4, 2, and 3. All of them contradict or bring tension to what we've just read in Timothy. So, it, uh, it, uh, commends female participation in spiritual leadership roles and violates the spirit of and practice of the Wesleyan holiness tradition. This church exists because from the very beginning we have believed in the full participation and ordination of women. This denomination would not exist if it were not for itinerant women preachers who took on three or four congregations and rode on horseback to preach, to uh, administer the sacraments, to see people who were lost saved. And you are here, Whether I know this church has never had a female senior pastor, but you would not exist if it were not for a female Nazarene pastor somewhere who proclaimed the good news and did not shy away from preaching based on her gender. Finally, it is incompatible, and I think most importantly, it is incompatible with the character of God presented throughout Scripture especially as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Are we all on board here? Are we tracking? Hopefully this brings those explosions back down. In other words, what I want you to know is that the authority to preach comes not from gender or your body parts, but through the call of the risen Christ, who first revealed His resurrection to women and commanded them to go and tell the brothers. We would not exist as a religion were it not for women preachers who went and first proclaimed the good news. That's worth amening. So you may say, but wait, this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. What does the church of the Nazarene have to say to the Apostle Paul? Well, I want to answer, yes, it is the Apostle Paul. The same Paul who told the Galatians that in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For how many of you? All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are how many? All 
one in Christ Jesus. But you may say, oh wait, but this is Scripture. Yes, it is a part of Scripture. But the Scripture is the full story of God's redeeming love. The whole Bible, written over thousands of years, inspired by the Holy Spirit to lead us to love and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the whole of Scripture. And so we have to begin to look at this because I honestly believe that Timothy has been hijacked. This passage has been hijacked. Now, I want you to know, I think it's been hijacked by some well-meaning people. Not all of them have been well-meaning. But I think some have been well-meaning. They, they took what they saw and read at face value. They want to follow the Scriptures. They want to honor the Scriptures. I understand that. There have been some women who are more comfortable taking that back seat role and they feel uncomfortable being up front and they have let that happen. And there have been some relationships that have worked well this way. But not all of them have. I think sometimes it's been hijacked by fundamentalists and literalism. I I just want to give you a short example. Are you ready? Are you ready for the example? Okay. So... Some men and people who would hold to the very literal interpretation of what we just read from Paul seem to completely gloss over verse 8. So if you want to look at verse 8, go right ahead. This is Young's literal translation from 1898 of the the Scripture of verse 8. So if we're going to be literal, let's be all the way literal, right? Okay, so literally it says, I wish therefore that men pray in every place. Where? In every place. Lifting up kind hands apart from anger and reasoning. So if you're going to hold that for women, you better change your posture tomorrow when you go into work. You're going to have to figure out how to type on a computer with it that's up here because you better have your hands lifted in the air and you better be praying out loud. And and let's say, you know, that doesn't seem right, right? But it says, apart from anger and reasoning, it doesn't have to be rational. It's just, just have your hands in the air, right? And, and please make sure, please, please make sure that you invest in deodorant. Okay? So sometimes it gets hijacked and we selectively pull. Well, it, it means exactly this here, but not over here. And I can, I can gloss over this. Am I, am I making sense here? I believe ultimately it's hijacked because it does not take into account the cultural differences between that time period and now, between Ephesus and the United States, between the year 35 and 2019. And so we have to look at this because when it gets hijacked like this, it takes us away from Paul's true purpose in writing these verses. Are you ready now? Can we, can we hear this? This is your one takeaway from these verses. And these one, this one takeaway in this letter to leaders is that Christian leaders are called to respond to their surrounding culture instead of reacting against it. Now, this means I have to kind of explain the difference between uh, reacting against and, and uh, responding to. So by reacting against, I mean it is usually driven by fear. Something happens, something arises in culture, and we just react to it. 
It scares us. It's driven by fear. It's usually limited in scope. If somebody does something to us, well, we're going to do something right back to them. It's tit for tat, right back and forth. But it usually leads to escalation because we don't just give the tat. We give the tat and plus some. And then that causes them to react to us. And then they react and they add a little more tat than we were, than we were expecting. So then we react and we go, you see how this escalates? It goes on and on. But responding to acknowledges the differences. We see what arises in culture. We know that that's different from what we believe or how we understand or how we live. But it is unlimited in its creativity. Its primary concern is relationships. And how do we see love flourish? Remember last week, how do we begin to see that love grow and flourish? And it usually leads to de-escalation. Now, I want you to see this. I want to give you a good example. This is a man uh, named Gordon Wilson. Gordon Wilson lived in uh, Northern Ireland during the Troubles. He wasn't a religious uh, leader. He was a draper. And then he sold fabric and made drapes and cloth for material and those kinds of things. But he and his family were involved in the Remembrance Day bombing. It took place in Enniskillen, a place that Lori and I vacationed once. Spent, spent a weekend there. And they had gathered around for their Memorial Day to remember the soldiers that had fallen in World War I. And as they gathered around the monument, they did not know that the provisional IRA, different from the actual IRA, had planted bombs in the building right next to it. And those bombs went off as they were remembering these lost British soldiers. Wilson and his daughter Mary were buried in rubble because it was a 40-pound bomb that exploded. Unable to move, he held her hand and comforted her as she lay dying. The BBC records this as his response. It said, She held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me. And those were her, the last words I will ever hear her say. Now, this is where you expect him to rant and go and join a military group on the other side. But he didn't react. He responded too. To the astonishment of listeners, Wilson went on to add, But I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life. She was a great wee lassie. She loved her profession. She was a pet. She's dead. She's in heaven and we shall meet again. And I will pray for these men tonight and every night and seek to understand what would drive them to do something like this. That's responding to. And, as historian Jonathan Barden recounts, no words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland had such a powerful and emotional impact. In fact, the BBC would later describe the bombing as the turning point in the Troubles because the attack shook the IRA to its core. 
That's responding to. That's creativity. That is desire for the relationship. And this man went on to meet with IRA members, with provisional IRA members. He tried to to warn the other side, please don't retaliate on my behalf. And he tried to hold that at bay and it became a turning point. That is responding to a violent culture in a way that Jesus calls us to. Do you see the difference? I hope so. So I want to argue, I want you to know that Paul is responding in these words to Ephesian culture. He wants to be creative. He's concerned about the relationship and the things that are going on in this specific church, in this specific time, in this specific part of the Roman Empire. Now, you need to know a little bit about Ephesian culture. Ephesians believe that Artemis or Diana was birthed there and they worshipped her. So there was a whole culture of Diana and Artemis goddess worship. There was some bad theology because of that that was creeping into the church circles. And there was a lot of wealth flaunting that was going on in this church. You need to understand that they believed that she was born there. And so they had a giant theater and they had a giant stadium and they had a giant temple to her. It was one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. This is a picture of her. Um, it's kind of a, a weird statue. I think you can see a little bit. Um, Right in uh, this section are all kinds of... She was the goddess of fertility, and so this is uh, different symbols of fertility. Down here in her dress are all kinds of animals, because it wasn't just human fertility, it was your animals. So you would go to this priestess, because uh, she was a goddess, she didn't have a priest, she had a priestess, and uh, and you would go to her if you needed a family. And maybe you hadn't been able to have one, and you would go, and you would go visit the priestess of Artemis, or Diana, as the Romans called her. Or if you wanted your flocks to flourish and do well, you wanted to be wealthy in animals, you would go and you would do your sacrifice there to the priestess. And this power was often abused, was often taken advantage of. For families who were longing for children, for farmers who were longing for good crops and good animals and and all of these kinds of things, much like some of the male-based religions and priests would take advantage of people too. But this was the game in town in Ephesus. There was also, I said, some bad theology. You see, people had been raised with these stories. People had had grown up in this culture of understanding who Artemis was and what you did and what she meant. And that they began to try and merge that with the Christian narrative of some of the things they were seeing. And as they were reading and learning the Jewish Scripture, they began to syncretize some of these things together. So much so, one of the things that I read about with scholars is that Eve actually becomes the hero of the Genesis story. She was actually made first... And she actually saved Adam by seeking for knowledge, taking the fruit, and giving some to him. She also created children. There was this idea that your flesh was bad. So this theology was beginning to creep in that was saying when Eve's spirit got close to Adam's spirit, then that's when life was created. Are you beginning to clue in why Paul might say some of the things that he might say if this was the theology that he was trying to correct. Lastly, 
There was wealth flaunting. It was a very class-based society. If you were a slave, you didn't hang out with those that were in the prince class or the wealthy class. You didn't mix those together. But the church, they did mix. The church was made up of people from differing classes. Remember Paul saying there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. All are what? One in Christ. And so he began to call out when there was some flaunting of wealth with those who had little or nothing. Does this begin to set some bells off? Can you begin to maybe catch a glimpse of good news when we add this passage back into its proper context. Let us return then to First Timothy with the proper cultural context. And let's walk through this because I think you'll begin to hear the good news. For there is one God and one mediator, a go-between between God and mankind. The man, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. This is not man elevating. He was a man. He was the man. This is not women shaming. Jesus was not a woman, so women get in your place. This was an attempt to correct some bad theology. Showing that human and divine are not opposed, but they lived perfectly in Jesus Christ. This is one of our core foundational beliefs. And... That Jesus has poured out His Holy Spirit on your body and can live in you. That you are called to be the place where God's Spirit is at work in the world. Paul is correcting this. He goes on and says, For He gave Himself as a ransom for how many? You're going to get this, aren't you? God is concerned about all people. Does all include male people? Does, Does all include female people? Does God, does, does all include old people? Does all include young people? Alright then. It includes all. This has been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles, the outsiders. Because if it wasn't true, I'd just be concentrating on the Jewish folk. But it is for all people. And I'm going to the outsider. He's correcting. He's he's calling them to begin to look outward. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. He's kind of confronting a cultural stereotype of men who do a lot of anger and disputing. We've already gone over this. If you're going to take that literally, you better change your posture and invest in some deodorant. But then he comes back and says, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive cloths. Dress modestly, decently, and propriety. What he was more talking about was about simplicity. That if there were people with less, we should take into account what we wear in order for it to not make them do the comparing game. Wow, I, I can't wear something like that. Oh, her hairstyle is so much better than mine. Oh, this. It was about dressing for the moment so that you showed by what you wore how we were together in one body. It was not about shaming a woman's body. I'll never forget hearing an acquaintance of mine on a podcast this week 
who talked about how she learned when she was about 13 that she suddenly, she was able to play with her friends, including her male friends. But at about 13 and 14, she began to learn that she became dangerous. That her body could cause something to happen in them or cause something to happen to her. That, that's not what Paul is getting at here. And, and if that has been you, if that has been used to, to club you into submission, can I say that is not the gospel? Now, is there thinking about what we wear? Yes, of course, men and women. And it should be looking at what do we do when we're gathered together? Should it be about wearing things that focus the attention on me? Or should it be about focusing our intention for all of us together, not playing the comparison game, but worshiping Jesus? Let's move on. This is the real hard one. Oh, yeah, and, and also for everyone. Clothe yourselves with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God, who came and served, male and female, so that all could be brought in. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. If you're asleep right now, I want you to wake up. So I want everyone to hear this. It's the one command in all the verses. And it is that women should learn. The command is there. Women should learn. I'm going to pull a Greek word for you because last week I gave you a bunch and I know you're hungry for more. It is the Greek word manthanato. Can you say manthanato with me? Ready? One, two, three. Manthanato. It means it is in... I want The thing I want to bring out about manthanato is that it is the word for learn, but it is the imperative for learning. This is not just I suggest that they learn. It is I command that they should learn. They should learn. I want you to hear me say that. It is right here in Scripture. Women should learn. Now, I know it goes on and says in quietness and full submission. It is quietness and submission to the teacher or to the, one, or the, to the teaching that is being taught. It's the way that all students learn. Amen? Can I get an amen from teachers? Do you want your students to learn in quietness and submission to the teaching? Or you? Or do you like it when they're running around the room crazy? So women should learn. And they should learn just like the men learn. This is one of the reasons why Mary, the whole story of Mary and Martha, where she's upset, part of it was, yeah, she wanted help in the kitchen, but part of it was that the other was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's the place of a disciple. That's the place of someone who is learning so that they can become a teacher. Right from the beginning, Jesus was breaking all these things down. This is the way all students learn. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Oh, let's unpack this. Come on now. <laughs> assume authority over a man. Another Greek word. Authentane. Can you say that word with me? One, two, three. Authentane. It literally means one who with their own hands kills another or dominates them. That's literally what it means. If you don't believe me, just check an online Greek dictionary. This is the first definition that came up. 
So inherent in this assume authority is the intent to do harm to the other person. In this case, I don't permit a woman to dominate a man. And I'm assuming, and you, you know, Paul is talking about this in a culture where women and a priestess could dominate men on a daily basis and exploit their needs. And Paul is saying, that doesn't play in the church. And it's the same guy who would say and flip in a culture where a lot of men in other cities would dominate their wives, would say, no, in the church, husbands love your wives. This is not about you're not supposed to teach or you're not supposed to get up here and preach. This is about you're not supposed to dominate and men are not supposed to dominate either. Paul is saying there should be no domination based on gender. Is that good news in the minefield? Yes. Then we go on. For Adam was formed first, then Eve... He's responding to bad theology. Remember I told you that somehow this had syncretized where Eve was first and somehow saving Adam. And it was Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who who was deceived and became a sinner. Not that Adam wasn't a sinner. I mean, think about it. If If you want to play that game, what's worse? Being deceived by the serpent or being deceived by the one who was deceived? We could play this game all day. Paul is correcting bad theology. And he's saying, no, let's get the story right, because the story shapes us. And we need to see how this goes. Let's, Let's move away from the worship of Artemis and Diana within our midst, and let's tell the good news of Jesus who's alive and makes us alive and sets us free. Then lastly, probably the granddaddy of them all, but women, and literally that word, I don't know why it's translated women, it is the singular form of the pronoun, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Paul again is correcting bad theology. Some scholars say, why did he go down to a singular? Maybe he was talking about one individual person, one woman within the congregation, one couple, the they. But whatever he's doing, he is saying to the women there in Ephesus, it's not about a spirit and a spirit getting together because your flesh is bad. No, it is good. There is salvation in living life in your physical human body as a woman. And to have a child is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. But it's not the just biological process that saves you. It is continuing in what? Read it with me. It's in continuing in faith and love and holiness with propriety. Those are the things that shape the church and the Christian culture. Well, we're right up on time. I think we've almost made it to the other side of the land landmine field. On Freedom Sunday... I hope, ladies, I I hope you've heard good news as we put this back in context. If anyone ever uses this as a club against your abilities or what God has called you to do within the church, you send them to this podcast. You have them come talk to me. 
will have a heart to heart and they will not win. I want you to know that. I want you to know that we cannot rip this this passage out of historical context anymore. Paul was writing to a particular group of people at a particular time, placing responsible limits on specific women or women for a specific set amount of time. Amen. Period. And the good news is he was calling them. He is not inviting us to demote 50% of the population to less than status within the church. Amen. This passage does, however, invite us to ask questions like these. What is going on in our surrounding culture? That's what you're invited to do. Where am I or where are we as a church just reacting in fear to our culture? That's a great question to ask from this passage. I would invite you to take that home with you this week. Where am I just reacting and I'm afraid and I'm, I'm in fear and I'm, I'm pushing back and I'm, I'm just doing these very limiting tit-for-tat things with my culture? What would it look like to respond to culture with relationships, with ethics, with my daily living? What would it begin to look like if we responded to creatively because we believe that He is worthy? What would it look like? What would it mean? And maybe lastly, finally, question to wrestle with is, are you called to lead? Will you? And can I start? Can I start with women? Has God placed a call on your life? Young or old, it doesn't matter. Has God placed a call on your life? Do you sense that God has something in store for you that has to do with ministering within the church? Can I say to you as your pastor, as a fellow traveler, as a brother... You belong here in this church. And this church has from the very beginning of its inception thought that God would use women just as much as men and we will train you and we will teach you. We will obey the command of Paul that you should learn and you should use those gifts in the church and you should learn good theology and you should learn the gospel and then you should go and you should preach and you should proclaim and you should serve and you should be pastors and district superintendents and missionaries and general superintendents. You have a place here. And I want to never hear again that you have been clubbed into submission or told you didn't have the right because of this passage. You are called. And if God is calling you, you are welcomed in our church. And we will do everything we can to follow the command that you should learn. You should learn. But it's not just for women. Men, it's for you too. You've been called to lead. Will you? Will you? Are you open to God's call? Is He worthy of your all? I pray that He is. Let's pray. Father,
Thank you for helping us in the minefield today. I pray that we would leave with good news ringing in our ears. That we'd be finally able to take this passage, this club, and put it back into its context. That we would not let shame or fear drive us any longer, but that your Spirit would empower us, call us, help us. And I pray for all my sisters here that this on Freedom Sunday would set them free. That the doors of the church in leadership, in learning, in proclamation, in serving, in leading, in helping is wide open for them. God, call our women, young and old, to say yes to your call. May it begin a revival within our church that brings the kingdom closer. And may we all, men and women alike, may we proclaim with our words, with our life, with our creativity and in our response to culture, may we proclaim He is worthy. He is worthy of our blessing and honor, glory and power. For we pray these things in His name, the name of Jesus, the mediator between God and humans who gave His life for all. We pray this in His name and everyone said, Amen. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? And now, may you, young and old, male and female, be set free today to know that you are called to be used of God. May you pursue whatever God calls you to. Say yes. And may you find blessing and reception within the church. Transform us and help us. I send you out in the name of the Father and the Son, yes, and the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Go in His name. Go with blessing.